see if I can still speak after getting excited about hymns. Thank you for that, Josh. Well, brothers and sisters, it's here. This is the end. No, I'm not starting a doomsday cult. This is the end of 2023. I always get a kick out of that. The last day of a year. From today onwards, we can look at 2023 as a year in review. We can look back on it as entirely past tense and we can ask all of the helpful questions that it's worth asking at the end of a significant period of time. Did I like 2023? There's one question. Across the course of this year, did I prioritise the right things? Is there anything that I would change? A few years ago, uh, a film came out called The Bucket List. Uh, To be honest, I didn't watch it. I don't know if it's any good. But the central concept of the film, I am told, is it's two people who've been given a terminal diagnosis. They make a bucket list, a list of things to do before you kick the bucket. I looked up what was on their list, and it was all sorts of selfish, indulgent stuff, collecting life experiences like a bunch of gap year students, um, going and being global tourists. But do you ever play that game? Do you ever play the what-could-make-me-die-happy game? Like, if this happened, then I'd, I'd be done. I'd, be, I'd have everything in the world that I wanted, the I-can-die-happy-now game. I think that'll sell. Um, for me, one time in New Zealand... I had toast with smoked butter. If I could have that again, I could die happy. It was incredible. I could depart in peace, yeah. (laughs) But uh, but of course, uh, we who are people of the, the Christian faith, we can review our year or our lives Uh, through a better lens than just, did I enjoy myself? We can ask questions like, did I walk with God this year? Is my bucket list about eternal things or is it about temporary things? Is my life today at the end of this year pointed at the right goal? Am I prioritizing the right things? Because if it isn't, Well, 2023 is done, but by the grace of God, 2024 can be different. Uh, Today's passage is a well-timed one. Um, Christmas is behind us. You know that Christmas is behind us because yesterday, Elise and I ate a box of mini eggs. It's still December, I'm just saying. We've also had hot crust buns in the house. Apparently, they sell them all year round now. 2023 is done. Christmas is behind us, and we are sitting here at the cusp of a new year. But there is one last passage from Luke's Gospel, which we've been making our way through across the course of the Christmas season, um, which comes to us from just after the birth of Jesus, 40 days after his birth, to be exact. And we read about it in Luke chapter 2, going from verse 22, if you'd like to read along. Luke 2.22 says, When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So here we are, just over, just over, uh, just over a month since his birth, 
The baby Jesus is taken to the city of Jerusalem to be presented at the temple and so that his parents can make an appropriate offering according to the law of Moses, specifically for Mary's cleansing. The Old Testament law has a lot of rules about ritual cleansing surrounding anything to do with blood. And so there is some ceremonial cleansing that needs to happen after a baby is born. Uh, If you want to read those rules, you can find them in Leviticus chapter 12 and take a look later. We won't read them this morning. Um, But there we find a little sort of tidbit of information that's worth keeping in mind. Um, It's easy to miss because we don't automatically have that context. Um, But what Leviticus 12 tells us is that actually there's two different kinds of offering that uh, new parents might be required to offer at the temple. Um, The first option is a goat and a bird. Um, But Mary and Joseph have come to the temple to offer two birds, which is the concession. It's that if you are too poor to afford a goat, you can offer two birds, uh, which gives us an idea of the kind of family that Jesus has now been born into. So Mary and Joseph go to Jerusalem. They go to visit the temple, which is a thing that all new Hebrew parents are required to do. It is a perfectly ordinary, routine part of religious life. It's like a Catholic family doing Uh, doing a a christening, right? It's just like, this is a thing that we do. This is a thing that all of our friends have done before us. Um, But this perfectly ordinary routine part of life turns into yet another spectacle. It turns into a bit of a scene because the God of heaven wants to make it abundantly clear for everyone that this baby who has just been born is special. It's a bit like that scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when Charlie finds the golden ticket and the whole crowd around him starts to yell. It turns into that. Let's have a read. Verse 25. That film was made in the 60s, which means that's a 60-year-old pop culture reference. That's not how you meant to do that. Verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, you, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts, may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. I'm going to assume that that means that she's often fasting, not fasting for... 60 years or something. That'd be quite impressive. Coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Isn't this just a strange moment? 
What is meant to happen on this day is that the parents come in with the baby and the supplies for the offering, not into the temple proper, you know, not into the building where Zechariah had been surprised by the angel, uh, but into the temple courts, the rest of the place outside of that main building, but inside the big walls. Um, there, some priest will help them to do the things, to take their sacrifice to the altar, to offer up some prayer, and then you leave next in the queue, please. Perfectly ordinary. But instead what happens is Mary and Joseph walk into the temple and before they can get to the front of the line, just some random dude runs up and grabs their baby, hopefully after asking for permission. And then he starts to like sing or prophesy or something. He's emotional. He's probably crying. And he's saying all of these wonderful things about this child. What on earth? Like, have you ever, parents, have you ever had that moment in the shops where a random stranger comes up to you and asks if they can touch your baby? It's uncomfortable. The answer is no. And then if that wasn't weird enough, while all of that is going on, this 84-year-old lady, who I don't even think knows Simeon, she's a complete, detached, extra random person, comes over and joins in the party. This is escalating. Things are getting loud. Simeon has been speaking over the baby and talking to Mary and Joseph, but this lady starts yelling to the crowd and pulling other people into what's going on. And here she is saying, this is the one. Here, hey, hey you, are you waiting for the redemption of Israel? He's here, come look, come look, come look. It's a scene, it's a commotion. I'd love to have been just like the priest who was on duty that day, going home and being like, what was that? As strange as it is, this moment is really... Significant, it's fitting. I think we know that because we know who Jesus is. Here we are, right at the beginning of Jesus' life, and there is yet another, is probably the right way to say it. Very clear statement from God about what this child is for. What I want to do this morning is I want to pull out three themes from this story that are really profound and are worth our digging into. But before we get into those three themes, there's just a quick little side note that I couldn't help myself um, it probably makes the sermon worse for me to do this, but I wanted to. So, you're, uh, you're stuck here with me. That's how it's going to work. Um, this passage is one of those frustrating times when the Bible tells us that God had communicated to someone and that they had been led by the Holy Spirit, but then doesn't tell us how that works. Have you come across those in the Bible sometimes? I find that really frustrating because I don't know about you, but I want to know how God leads us today. When I read a passage like this about what's been happening in Simeon's life um, and in Anna's life, uh, one of the questions I have is, does this still happen? There is a danger to be addressed in this kind of thing. There's a danger in expecting these sort of things to happen all the time, or there's a danger that people can just make stuff up and put words in God's mouth and say, I've had a, I've had a vision, I've had a, I've had a word. And then they can come to you and say, the Lord said that you should do X, Y, Z. Uh, and that's, that's very open to abuse. I've seen that. Maybe some of you have seen that. Sadly, that happens. This, um, because this kind of subjective leading by God is open to abuse, there are some, including some who we would respect, who would come to the conclusion that God does not lead like this anymore that this is a thing of the past. It's worth saying that neither Mike nor myself can sit with that conclusion. We believe 
that our God is still actively leading his people today and that these sorts of things do happen by the Holy Spirit, that he specifically directs us into certain things at certain times. Yes, we believe that the main way that God communicates with his people, to to all of us, is through the Bible. The Bible remains the most reliable and clear revelation of God that exists, and it was given to us for that purpose. If you want to know God's will for your life, read the Bible. It's right there, all the time. You don't need to wait for a special miracle to get that information. All the most important things about the Christian life are found there, and yet, there are some things that are just plain too specific to be in the Bible. There is no verse for, Simeon, go to the temple today. God's leading is never to be detached from the Bible, but in certain specific things, God does impress upon those who belong to him the need to do certain things. What's the practical uptick of this? If you have been waking up in the middle of the night thinking urgently about some friend of yours, Stop and pray for them, and then at an appropriate time in the morning, give them a phone call to see how they are doing. Our God still leads. Side note over. This passage is a good one for a day like today. Simeon and Anna help us to take stock of our lives Uh, and see if we are pointing in the right direction. We learn a heap from them. We're going to pull out three things that we learn about our God from these two people, which are relevant as we reflect on our year. Today we're going to hear that our God is the God who reveals himself to the humble, the God who satisfies our hearts, and the God who reveals hearts. Now, the longer you look at those three things, the more you realize It's a pretzel. I'm really proud of it. Our God is the God who reveals himself to the humble. Reveals himself to the humble. Who is Simeon? Who is Anna? We today know next to nothing about them. These are not important people. Let's take Simeon, for example. He appears here in the Gospel of Luke, in the Bible, and we never read about him again. Outside of the Bible, he never appears in any historical documents or ancient manuscripts which have been uncovered. You can't go to a museum and see something referring from the time to Simeon. It doesn't exist. His name has echoed down through the ages because of this event being in the Bible. And outside of that, we would never know that he exists. He wasn't significant. He was not important. He was literally just some guy. Everything that we know about him, we learn here in Luke. What are we told? We are told that he was righteous and devout. He was a deep worshipper. God and his promises were the center of this man's life. This is a person whose life was defined by a genuine worship. And we are told that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That word consolation, it's similar to the word to console, to comfort, to bring strength. 
Simeon is aware of the part of salvation history he's living in because he knows his Bible. He knows that the Messiah is coming. He knows that when Messiah arrives, that that will be when God will bring comfort, strengthening and rescue. Yes, he's had the, the, the added confirmation from the Holy Spirit that you're going to see these things take place in your lifetime. But he is waiting for God to bring comfort and strength and rescue to his people. That's the main thing about Simeon's life. There are so many prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about the arrival of Messiah with this kind of language. For example, Jesus would later sit in a synagogue and read from the scroll of Isaiah and say, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. It describes me. Isaiah 61 verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So this guy is somebody whose life is defined by knowing God and actively waiting for him to keep his promises. And outside of that, he is not significant in this world. He's a nobody. The the story for Anna is much the same. She's a widow who has used her widowhood to be active at church and to have a quiet ministry of prayer. Wonderful, but hardly spectacular. She is not a leader of thousands. She does not have an impressive portfolio with which she can show you her bona fides. And God chooses Simeon and Anna, these two people, to reveal his Messiah to well before that is common knowledge. They're getting a a special sort of sneak preview of what is to come. These two people have been singled out for a special blessing. It's a bit like an advanced screening, getting to see the film early, which used to be exciting, but now movies are no good. The list of people who are privy to just how special Jesus is on planet Earth, on the day that this story is taking place, is a very short list of people. But God is specifically, miraculously intervening to bring these two people into the loop. Did you notice that? It's incredible. And you get the sense... That the reason why these two people are brought in is mostly for the benefit of these two people rather than the benefit of everybody else. Do you know what I mean by that? Like he's not pulling these two people in because they're influential and he's going to accomplish something through them, though he does. But rather, it seems like he's doing it to bless them. I mean, what are they going to do? If, if God's plan is to make a big splash on arrival for Jesus, this is a bad plan. It's like a, 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 the multitude of angels appearing. This spectacular miracle. How often in history has that happened? But they appear to a bunch of raggedy old shepherds who nobody cares about. And then they have to go and just like, like no, trust me, bro. I saw like a thousand angels. It's like, you're a shepherd. Shut up. That's just not a thing. This has got to be the worst product launch since New Coke, right? Like this is... Um, The opposite of viral marketing. This is an ad campaign that no one will see. 
No, God is showing us something about himself through Simeon and Anna. Our God is the God who reveals himself to the humble. Do you want to see God in your life? Do you want to know his presence? Do you want to watch him move? Do you want to walk closely with him? The Beatitudes promise us that that is what the pure in heart get to do. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's the only qualification that Simeon and Anna have. Simeon and Anna are the pure in heart. Not chosen because they matter to other people. Not chosen because they're sinless. Not chosen because they're special. Chosen because they matter to God and for no other reason. They were chosen. Why do they get this extraordinary blessing? Because they love God. They are people after his own heart. And with our God, your love for him is reciprocated. Our salvation, don't, don't, don't misunderstand me here. Our salvation is all of grace. We, we, we believe that. You don't need to earn God's love in order for him to save you. But it must also be said, once we have said that salvation is by grace, there is still reward to be found in obedience and devotion to him. Do you want to see God moving in your life? Love him. Draw near to him. Give your whole self to him. Go past lukewarm. Go past skin-deep religion. And throw your life into God's hands. And when you do, what has he promised us? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, James 4.8. God rewards those who seek him, Hebrews 11.6. And Matthew 5, the pure in heart will see God. That means you. God reveals himself to the humble. That can be you. The next thing we learn in this passage about our God is that our God is the God who satisfies hearts. It's interesting to think of this story from Simeon's point of view, isn't it? How different is that than the story from Mary and Joseph's? From the point of view of Mary and Joseph, this is the day they went to the temple and a random dude grabbed their baby. But to Simeon, he has been actively waiting for this day for who knows how long. We, we're, like, we're not told when the Holy Spirit had told Simeon that he was going to get to see something special. He might have been waiting years. And then this day, what did he, do? he woke up, he had his morning. Did they do coffee in Jerusalem? I don't know. Let's, let's assume. Had his morning coffee. He's having a normal sort of morning devotional time that day when then just suddenly he knew, I've got to go to the temple today. However, the Holy Spirit led him, who knows, but he gets the push to go. He walks in and he sees a baby like you would on any other day in the temple. But he knows that he knows that he knows that today his eyes are looking at the one, the Messiah. The comfort you have been waiting for has arrived. He arrives at the temple He picks up the baby 
and what comes out of his mouth is from God. It's kind of like a song and a prophecy. Uh, Luke's account of Christmas, we've mentioned it a few times across the course of the month, contains four songs that all have old Latin names coming from the first word of the song in the Latin version of the Bible. The first time we heard singing at Christmas was from Mary, when the angel told her that she was going to give birth to a son, that his name would be Jesus. And she sings a song which is called the Magnificat, which comes from the Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord. The second song that we heard was from Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, at the birth of John the Baptist. It is called the Benedictus. It comes from the, the beginning of the song, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. The third time we heard singing, it was coming from the mouths of the angels who were appearing to the shepherds, who were calling out Gloria in excelsis Deo. Perhaps that one is a bit more familiar to us. It means glory to God in the highest. Simeon's song is called Nunc Dimittis. Now I can depart. (laughs) In this context, literally, I can die now. He has tasted the smoked butter of life. He's just finished his bucket list. I can depart in peace. Why? Because the thing I want most of all in life, I am looking at. Do you feel it? It happened. My my eyes have seen it. And so then he sings, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. The Savior has arrived. Brothers and sisters, what do you want to see most in 2024? A heart which is set on God is rescued from the trap of trying to squeeze the meaning of life out of things that can't provide it. We go looking for meaning, for purpose, in all sorts of weird places. But one of the best things about being a Christian is that we are set free from the futility of this life. Futility, meaninglessness. Our every day, through Jesus, can be connected to the eternal. Like washing the dishes can be an act of worship which echoes through eternity as a Christian. It's incredible. And yet, with access to that glorious truth, that glorious reality, we still seem to fall into the trap of failing to look up And to having our lives be consumed with the mundane, separated from their eternal purpose. The goal of my life, for example, should not be to get ahead in my career alone. I mean, that's a nice detail. It might be useful for some things. But it's just not the meaning of life. There is something bigger. And when we meet people like Simeon and Anna, it clicks In the parable, Jesus told us that the kingdom of God was like a man who found a pearl of great price and in his joy sold everything that he had in order to get hold of it. This is what we have in Jesus. Your servant can depart in peace 
For my eyes have seen your salvation. Is that where your heart is? That's the question. Was Jesus your treasure in 2023? Or did you get distracted? Do you need to lift up your eyes and set your heart on a better treasure? One that will not rust or disappoint. Because when you set your heart on God, God satisfies your heart. And I can die now. I have everything I want. Lastly, in this passage we see that our God, the arrival of Jesus, is the arrival of the God who reveals hearts. Reveals hearts. Did you notice that moment in there, just, just after the song, where um, Simeon shares some prophetic insights with Mary, specifically, about the baby? With all of the celebration, with all of the joy of his arrival, there's a warning, which, which looks forward to, to Easter. Uh, he shares with Mary this miraculous knowledge of what this baby's life is going to look like. And he tells her that the life of the Savior will not be smooth sailing. He is a sign that is opposed. There is something coming which will pierce Mary's heart with sorrow. Jesus is going to cause the fall of some powerful people and institutions whilst at the same time raising some others up. And in doing that, he will reveal the content of a lot of hearts. Luke 2.35, he says, A sword will pierce through your own soul, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's in mind here is the religious life of God's people. This is the primary purpose that Jesus has come for. In their time, in their day, unlike today, of course, they had a big problem with pretenders, especially amongst religious leaders. There was a lot of pretending going on. People were claiming to be spiritual, but they were rotten to the core. And yet they were still influential. It's exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? He revealed hearts. What those people were became visible when they encountered Jesus. The pretense of religiosity amongst the Pharisees, for example, vanished. And when they met him, they revealed themselves and we saw them for what they were. They had been respected, but their corruption became clear. This is exactly what the life of Jesus accomplished on the smaller scale. And it is still, in the larger scale, what an encounter with him is like today. In a vacuum, in ordinary life, when it comes to the things of God, it is possible for people to rise to prominence in the church. People can build a name for themselves in regards to the things of God. You can be publicly known as having a certain kind of spiritual substance. You can be influential. You can claim to follow God and be a member of his church and be important in a congregation. 
But what you really are is known to God. Jesus is the great revealer of hearts. And what you are will eventually be seen. It comes one way or another. Hasn't there been too much of that in recent years? Religious leaders publicly failing. What good are the accolades of the crowd on the day when you were being shown to be a fraud? Like, do you ever want to just meet these people and ask them, was it worth it? You know, you could have had the real thing. What did you gain? The Savior has come. And there are some who encounter him and they come to life. Simeon and Anna's hearts are being revealed at their first meeting of Jesus. And what is found in there is gold. And as a result, they receive all of God's comfort that he has to give in meeting this Jesus. To them, Jesus is the rock of comfort. But that same rock, which is the rock of salvation to some, is the rock over which others stumble. He is also the rock of offense to those whose hearts before God are insincere. Jesus is the great revealer of hearts. Which means we have to say, there is no use in pretending. Nothing to be gained by it. There is this strange thing that we do as people. I have got absolutely no idea why we do it. It's silly. It's ridiculous. I do it all the time. Where we want to impress other people. It seems really important. Some of us kind of get to give up on that goal because we're just no good at it. But we all want it. How are you doing? Yeah, we're doing good. We're not doing good. Why do we do that? It's a strange habit for two reasons. It's a strange habit because God knows your heart. You're not fooling anyone. Well, you are, but just not anyone who matters, right? You can fool me. You can fool people. You can fool your church. You can fool the world. You cannot fool God. Before a word is on my lips, he knows it completely. The hairs on my head are numbered. He knows who I am. Don't play chess with that guy. You're going to lose. It's a strange thing to do for a second reason. Because God really is gracious. There really is a blessing to be obtained. Our God reveals himself to the humble. And our God really does satisfy our hearts. Why do we keep looking for contentment in all the wrong places? Why do we keep that gracious God at a distance when the Savior has come? Like our eyes haven't seen him like Simeon and Anna's. But yes, we have seen him working in this world, haven't we? And in our lives, we've watched God preparing things and preparing us for his eternal kingdom. We've seen him move. 
We've seen his merciful, restoring power. Don't settle for a substitute. Have the real thing. Don't play games. Today is a good day to look up and to take stock. I really do think that there are some of us here today who need to hear this. Some of us who have become content across the course of 2023, perhaps longer, to be toe in with Jesus. There are some of us who have been treating him as the seasoning on the side of life rather than the joy of our souls. And through Simeon and through Anna and through Christmas, he is inviting us into something better. By God's grace, 2024 doesn't have to be 2023. His mercies are new every day, which means they're new today and they're new tomorrow and the promise is still good. Seek him and you will find him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Let's pray that we'd have the good sense to accept that invitation. Father, I want to begin today with confession. There are periods of of my life, as I'm sure there is for us all, where our hearts just grow stale towards you. They get crusty. We get distracted. We begin to find our treasure on earth in all sorts of weird places. We begin to worship those things which are not God's. Can't satisfy. We keep you at a distance, our God, so that we can have our idols. Even though our idols are made of poison. I thank you for days like today. I thank you for the reminder that to keep my distance from you is the greatest kind of foolishness which exists. What do I hope to gain? I thank you for the reminder that your promises are true, that you really have come to rescue us and to rescue me from the kind of life the eternal death that we would have without you. Father, today, I thank you that you give grace to the humble because that's all I can be. I thank you that you reveal yourself to those who seek you that you satisfy our lives with good things. We thank you, our Father, that in your presence is the fullness of joy. 
pleasures forevermore. We thank you. We, we say that you are the pearl of great price. That if we were to lose everything in order to have you, we would have everything. Convince my heart of hearts, O oh God. Rescue me from the futility of my fallen nature. Lift my eyes up to see your Savior who has come for my comfort and strength. Pray this in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen.